Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi, uh, welcome everybody to today's Friday lunchtime lecture at the Open Data Institute. I'm Miranda, I'm the R&D program lead here, and I'd like to introduce Isabel Champion, who will be giving our lecture today on how local services are being transformed with open data. Izzy has been working on the project since about November. Uh, we've been working in this area for about a year, and we have another year's worth of work to be doing. It's part of our research and development program, which is a three-year funded program from Innovate UK. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you're watching the stream, then please feel free to tweet at ODI Fridays. Um, so thank you. And with that, here's Izzy. Thank you. Um, yep. Yeah, so again, welcome to the ODI. Thank you so much for coming and for watching online. Um, I'm here to talk to you today about some work that we've been doing about how local services are being transformed with open data. So what we're going to focus on today is talk a bit about what the ODI has been doing in this space. And we're going to focus on um, four councils that we worked with in the past year to redesign some services using open data, looking at their successes, challenges and lessons learned and share some advice if you're coming from a local authority um, about how you might want to start thinking about using open data. Um, and then talk a bit about the next steps for the teams and the successes they've had since. And also some leading on to some of the work we're going to be doing this year at the ODI. Um, so as Miranda said, um, this project forms part of the ODI's um, innovation programme, which is funded by Innovate UK. Um, it's a £6 million programme, which is over three years. Um, and in this kind of part of our programme, we wanted to support local governments to develop more data-enabled services and publish more open data as part of these services. So there was a couple of other things we did alongside the working with the local authorities. Um, so two of our other outputs are um, we produced a report looking at um, how open data is currently being used to deliver um, public services. And through that report, we found three patterns, three things that were replicated across lots of different services that we came across, which were using open data to increase access to public services. So that might be quite a common one that you know, such as TFL, kind of releasing their open data and linking up with people to um, increase access to those services. Um, using open data to plan service delivery and make it more efficient, um, an example of which is the work that Spend Network are doing. And the third case is um, using open data to inform policy making. So really using it as a basis for making decisions, um, which is something that the Cabinet Office Grants Data Programme is doing. And the report actually, it's published on our website and it has about eight different case studies of um, different ways that councils and public services are using open data. Um, also yesterday, we published some work on um, some, um, some really early stage work on uh, that we're doing about identifying how people learn and what kind of tools they might find useful when they're thinking about using open data in public services. So this is something we'll be expanding on this year. I'll come back to it at the end. But um, we thought it was really um, important to share some early stage work on our thinking about the kinds of things that might be useful for different people working across the public sector. In this strand of our work, we wanted to help councils do some really practical stuff and really learn with them about what could make an open data project successful. And we wanted to help them explore how open data could be used. So we funded four teams across the country to use open data to explore how to redesign a service using open data. And we wanted to see how open data could help those services become more efficient, 
more innovative, and also more citizen-focused. So um, what I'm going to do now is take you through the teams one by one. The first was Doncaster Council, and they worked with a service design organisation called Us Creates. Doncaster Council is really focused on improving careers advice, information and guidance in the council area. They found through doing some user research that it's really fragmented and for people completing their GCSEs, it's really difficult to get information. And often that information comes too late when they've already made choices that will affect the kind of jobs and careers that they can move on to. So the council is responsible for the outcomes of the service, but not delivering the service itself. So it was really interesting to see how that worked um, for that council. The Kent Energy Efficiency Partnership worked with Kent County Council and us greats as well to improve fuel poverty. So across Kent and Medway, there are over 60,000 people in fuel poverty. And as we all know, fuel poverty can cause huge negative effects for mental health, physical health, um, well-being and other um, negative impacts. So they wanted to see how better data and information could support more efficient and more targeted approaches because it's really hard to identify who could actually be affected by fuel poverty at the moment. The team from North Lanarkshire up in Scotland were working with a service design agency called Snook and Urban Tide, or an open data organisation. And North Lanarkshire found that they had a really high number of freedom of information requests and calls and emails about non-domestic business rates, which if, like me, when I started the project, you don't know what that is, is it's a tax that's kind of charged to businesses and shops, kind of like council tax, but for business. And they were manually answering these queries and getting a lot of queries every month and had to manually go and find the data, put a little together and um, publish it to that person and obviously not very efficient. So they wanted to see how they could publish non-personal, non-domestic rates data and therefore use that to um, reduce requests and um, increase transparency around the service. The final team we worked with was um, Waltham Forest who were working with the audience agency and technology box. So Waltham Forest is a borough in London. They have a really strong tradition of creativity across the borough. Um, for example, William Morris is a very famous Waltham Forestian, if that's a word. Um, and um, the borough really sees culture as a service to their residents. And they wanted to see how they could use open data um, to increase engagement in culture across their residents. So they wanted to see if um, culture was only being accessed by some groups of people and not by others and how they could look to change that. So um, they focused on um, a museum, this museum, Vestry House Museum, uh, which is in the centre of Waltham, Walthamstow. Um, but it's not well visited and they felt like it wasn't reaching its full potential and they could do more to increase access to that museum. And so they used Wi-Fi access point technology <laughs> along with um, cultural profiles that they built of different types of people who might be visiting um, the borough. Um, to explore better ways of creating different user journeys for people who, who might come to the museum and different ways to engage with people. So those are our four teams. And even though they were working in really different environments, they had quite similar challenges. So the first was that not everyone's understanding of what open data is is equal, I think it's fair to say, um, especially when you're bringing together a really multidisciplinary team of people to work on a project, which is often the case. So, for example, um, Doncaster was working with schools, colleges, um, the students themselves, and trying to understand what data existed already, and some things which were thought were open data were actually not. It was just 
shared data or it's just part of our open data spectrum, which you can kind of see there. It wasn't as open as it could be. Um, the second one was maybe the data doesn't even exist yet. Again, Doncaster, um, so there, a lot of the careers advice information is just sitting on websites or it's in a PDF and it doesn't really exist as a data set per se. Um, and also um, North Lanarkshire found that um, although the data existed, it, wasn't, it was so difficult to get access to and it, they had to go through the same rigmaroles every time of persuading people that it was okay and et cetera, that it made it very difficult to make that data available. The other considerations are things like legal and ethical considerations. I'm sure we've all heard GDPR to death by now. Um, but um, Waltham Forest, for example, were collecting personal data as part of that Wi-Fi access point technology. And um, we were keen to explore with them the legal and ethical implications of what this is. But also, data ethics isn't just about personal data. Um, for example, one thing that our head of policy, Peter, likes to say is that um, uh, when Pokemon Go was released, bear with me, um, a lot of the um, location points that you would go to to get your Pokemon points, I don't play the game, as you can tell, um, were based in wealthier areas. So it meant that if you were from a lower socioeconomic background, it was actually more expensive for you to play the game. So although that doesn't include personal data, it's actually still a really interesting data ethics question. Um, and uh, so we kind of worked with them using our data ethics canvas to um, explore how we could um, help them uh, think about their approach in a bit more detail, think about the ethics involved, um, and also build confidence around across the council about the approach that they were using. So there was kind of five key things that helped these teams be successful. And the first was acting as an ecosystem convener, which means you can be the central point in bringing people together. As Doncaster found, even though they weren't responsible for the service delivery, because they're responsible for the outcome of that service, they were able to bring people across the borough from councils to um, the business board to um, uh, colleges and schools um, together and not only raise everyone's understanding of the different roles that they played, but also raise everyone's understanding of data and how that could be shared better and create a more efficient way of working together. Um, second was innovation. So thinking differently about how you're doing things. Um, for example, uh, by combining different types of data together, Kent, they work with closed data, which means data that's... <coughs> not open at all, shared data, which is data that um, is shared amongst a group of people, or open data, which is data that anyone can access, use, or share. And they brought those two different types of data together, and by doing so, they were able to reduce, um, they were able to reduce the, the size of people um, that they were focusing on. So before, their target areas for fuel poverty interventions were about 1,600 people, and they reduced that down to 20 people per targeted intervention by focusing on postcode areas. So it was really interesting that that kind of bringing those different types of data can really help you make those changes. And the last, uh, the third one is um, collaboration and peer learning. So um, North Lanarkshire, they had a huge training um, exercise across the council. They trained about 70 people so far on open data um, in collaboration with Urban Tide. And that's really helped a sense of culture change um, across the council. So bringing everyone on that journey together has been really important to embedding this kind of learning across the council. But also through doing this project itself, 
um, we brought together four teams and they acted as a peer group and shared learnings between them. And it was really helpful because, as you could see, they were coming across similar challenges and therefore they could share ideas of how they were trying to deal with it themselves and also share the things that they were doing so that um, if one of the other councils, for example, had started to think about their business rates data, they'd have a contact and a key person who'd already been on that journey who they could share that information with. And the other two um, factors that helped them be successful were um, building on existing practices. So it's not about starting again from scratch. Um, for example, Waltham Forest have a transformation team and they already have a, a very clear transformation process that they go through. And um, they thought about how um, things like the data ethics canvas could be incorporated into that transformation program so that it's it, it wasn't about changing the way that they did everything. It was just incorporating some new ideas into that way of working. And lastly, um, improving data infrastructure, availability and access. So two of the teams, um, which was Kent and uh, Doncaster, they worked to firstly just do a review of what data exists. It might just be as much as that, like making people, other people aware in the council what data was there. Um, and also what, whether it was shared, whether it was closed, whether it was open, and bringing up people's understanding of what that means and what that could look like going forward. Um, also, um, I think um, one thing that Doncaster did was um, by they, they, they manually went through and scraped those school websites to pull together a prototype data set to show what could be possible if that data was open. So I think that's a way of kind of like creating an, an innovative data set that will help you build a business case for what you're doing and, and show a proof of concept. So we talked to the teams. Um, there's a podcast, which I think has either been released or be released today. Soon. Yeah. soon. <laughs> but in the next, uh, very, very soon. Um, so um, we kind of spoke to them and asked them for some advice. So their key pieces of advice were talking to your data experts. People probably won't think that they're a data expert. I don't mean the person who's kind of hacking your data or something. It's more people who work with that data set on a day-to-day -day basis. They really understand it. They really get it. And they are going to know what the difficulties of working with that data are, what it can link to, other sources of data that they've come across that maybe no one really knows about. And being part of the data grapevine, which is a great phrase someone used, which is knowing that what other data exists in your ecosystem and how you could bring it together. Secondly, be creative and be prepared to change course. It's really hard to do, but being open to doing things differently and stopping when things aren't working is really important when you're doing things like this, especially if you're under pressure to make sure that you're spending money super efficiently, which we all know that councils are. Also, be open to challenging your own assumptions. I think it's really interesting that really difficult to, to kind of do this kind of transformation if, um, if you're stuck in the same worldview. And finally, building your network. There are lots of people doing this. You are not alone. <laughs> and um, there's a, a wealth of case studies out there. Um, we've also produced case studies of each of these four teams, which are published on our website. Um, and we think that they might be really useful to kind of persuading others that this kind of thing can be done and it's useful. Um, and um, also, as I've kind of... Uh, mentioned earlier on, by having that peer network, you'll have other people say, oh, when I was trying to persuade my CEO, this worked, or when I was working with my head of service, this was something that really helped them get on board with the idea. And it, it can really help you kind of 
build that network and think that you're not just crazy, this is something useful. So what happened next? Well, uh, the teams have created toolkits. Um, some of them are being published, have already been published, and some of them are yet to be published, but will be coming soon. And it's about how those toolkits can support others to experiment with open data. So some of them are really practical step-by-step -step guides of the project that they went on. Some of them are quite technical, like this is um, the second one there is um, Kent's model for how they've created a joint strategic needs assessment. Um, so we're hoping that they're kind of like useful to people and help people think about how they could implement those things in their own cases. Where are these toolkits? Um, so on the blog that we've just published, there's a link to an open spreadsheet, which um, includes these and others. <laughs> um, and we'll be updating that as the other ones get published. That's on the ODI blog. That is on the ODI blog, yeah. Um, so we really think these will be helpful for people kind of doing those stuff, and, and, and we're keen to learn more about them, which I will come on to. Um, also, the teams themselves have had a lot of successes following this. So you may have seen that um, Waltham, Waltham Forest is London's first borough of culture for 2019, which was announced in uh, uh, February 2019, uh, February 2018, sorry. Um, and they're also continuing to test activities at Vestry House Museum. They've got some ideas about movie nights that might help kind of engage with some different people. And um, they're continuing that project as well, looking at how they can expand it to other cultural um, assets. Urban Tide, um, which was uh, work, who were working with um, North Lanarkshire Council and Snook, um, have won a, an award for transformational innovation through data at the Scotland Is Digital Technology Awards. Um, and that was in April, and that was based on the work that they did through the project. And also Doncaster have just announced that they've approved a business case to develop one of the prototypes that they created through the work that they did with us. So we think this kind of thing, it not only kind of helps you to change the services you're delivering, but also it can help you put yourself out there as a leader in this area. Um, we're also continuing this project this year, as Miranda uh, highlighted. Um, we've created a lot of great resources, so the case studies, um, a list of tools, and also some of our own tools we've created. So we've um, iterated on our data ethics canvas, um, and we've also um, published a to a guide for how to map your own data ecosystem, so to understand who is a player in that game and the kind of roles they could play. Um, and we want to test them with local authorities. We want to see if they're useful for service design, if they're useful for thinking through your open data's challenges. But we also want to work with others. So other people have produced a lot of uh, service design toolkits um, that are useful, but we think that maybe including some open data thinking in those could help people those things at the same time. So we're really interested to learn from other people's experiences and to work more collaboratively going forward. Um, so on that note, thank you. And I think we go to questions. Um, great. So uh, can I just ask, hi, can I just ask if uh, people have questions, if they could speak into the microphone so that people at home or watching the stream can also hear. Um, any questions from the floor? Hi. Thank you, Izzy. I just um, wonder if you've had any uh, quantifiable business benefits that have come out of, of doing the open data work in terms of savings or mm -hmm. any other stats that you could reference. So stats specifically off the top of my head, can't remember. <laughs> 
work at the Open Data Institute, haven't got the best head for numbers, but um, they, uh, North Lanarkshire have definitely seen some savings um, and I will find out what they are and tweet them afterwards. Um, but I think um, what that's shown is where you're getting a lot of service requests through, um, North Lanarkshire actually have this mentality that every freedom of information request is a service failure. I think that's a really interesting mentality that you could be publishing that data and saving yourself time. Um, it's also interesting to think about how that can look because actually it, um, they experienced some difficulties with thinking that maybe that was causing more denials, but actually it was because that data was already there. So it may look bad, but I think it's about being confident in your narrative that you can um, point back to those kind of figures. But that saved them quite a lot of money, I think, from memory. But I will find the exact number and find it and send it around. <laughs> Sorry. You mentioned you are targeting what must of forest on culture. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what is the value between data and culture? I'm not interested in mapping, uh -huh. because I mean, everybody do this. Yeah. What are the benefits, not just on cost saving or yeah. things like this? I would like to see how they can create jobs mm. using data. So I think there's some interesting benefits about how... Um, you could create more culture services through data. I need jobs. I mean, one of the main problems in Waltmastow mm -hmm. is jobs. Yeah. So how the, what is the value of data in order to create jobs using, as they say, the value of culture, for example? So, That's what I'm looking for. okay. Um, obviously, Walthamstow would have a better answer than me. But in, I would say that... Um, by using data, we could understand um, how we can better um, engage people in coming to cultural things and therefore creating um, business cases for how you could create new cultural services which would then lead to more jobs being created. That would be my answer. But <laughs> yeah. Could you give a little sense about how much um, time or effort went into delivering this? Because I think... You know, one of the problems I, I come across is people only want to do something if they think within a few weeks there's going to be a, a benefit. But I, I assume they're all a bit different, but some flavour. Sure. Um, so uh, the Stimulus Fund project started um, in uh, November, I think, and uh, we ran until February, so it was four months. Christmas was in the middle of that, so maybe three and a half if you think about it that way. Um, and most of them had um, teams working part-time on these projects. So um, I think in terms of the effort, because each of the councils had identified these services themselves, it wasn't ones that we selected. They kind of came to us and said, these are services we want to redesign. They obviously had some senior buy-in, which obviously helps with pushing that time forward as well. Um, I think there's an interesting um, thought about that something we'd like to explore this year is kind of how we can help people make those um, assumptions, make those um, asks clearer and make people understand how they can support their own jobs going forward, if that makes sense. Um, Peter? Hi, I'm Peter. The, uh, just, I suppose a bit of extra information just on top of Izzy's answer there. In the stimulus fund we offered, it was about 30 to 40k per bid was what we were offering, and people were using that both to bring in external support and to pay for some of the council staff time. So that's probably a reasonable, a reasonable estimate of how much effort they were. It was interesting when we first, when we were setting up the stimulus fund and showing it to some people, 
lots of people said to us, you can do nothing with that smaller sum. Which, no, you think we're like, we're fairly confident some people can. And <laughs> um, we, uh, we got 24 bids for the stimulus fund, probably at least half were credible bids. And we can only, we can only afford to do four. So it's really interesting quite how much impactful stuff people could do with quite small sums of money. Thank you, Peter. Um, it would just be interesting to know as well the, the makeup of roles who are on the teams mm -hmm. in the councils. Yeah. So, um, obviously, each council is slightly different. Um, for example, um, Waltham Forest, um, they have a transformation team that is made up of, uh, they have service designers on that team. They're working with um, project managers, a kind of range of people. And um, whereas with North Lanarkshire, the council team were quite service focused. So, they were working with the um, customer support team who were kind of doing the um, uh, taking in the queries and kind of passing, they're working with all the people who are working in that process. So, but then they brought in some external service design expertise to have that kind of backed up. So I think it's interesting to think about the different range of roles you might need on a project because um, from the learning personas work that we've done, we found it's really important to not just have the digital transformation person, but also having that head of service on board is super important because otherwise you just end up at loggerheads and also involving key kind of compliance policy people at the right times to make sure that they're on board and then you're not kind of coming up to them at the last minute and they freak out or something, that you can kind of bring those people on that journey with you. Yeah. Uh, great. Are there any questions from yeah, there are Twitter? Two, I think both from Leeds. Uh, the first is, have you got any spreadsheets on evaluating social projects? <laughs> that I know of. No, okay. <laughs> but um, there might be some resources that um, the ODI has that I'm not aware of that we can point to, potentially. Yeah. Um, Peter looks like he's thinking. <laughs> he's always thinking. Always thinking. <laughs> uh, another is, um, is there a shared ethic around, so it's abbreviated, so I'm mm -hmm. interpreting it. Is there a shared ethic around using open data and how is that shared? Hmm, I think... Um, yeah, I'm sure Peter will have some thoughts on ethics as well. But um, the thing we've really focused on is about creating a framework for thinking about data ethics. So um, you will get one if you want. Um, we've got some data ethics canvases here for the room, but also it's available online. Um, and I think what's important is um, understanding why you're kind of thinking about open data, thinking about the purpose of things, and also thinking about um, kind of trying to put yourselves in other people's shoes who may be less familiar with the project and think about those initial reactions because I think those are really important. It's about creating transparency and trust, I think, is, is also super important, obviously. So, yeah. But uh, I think the data ethics canvas is always a good place to start. Do you have another question from the floor? No? Maybe I just imagined that. <laughs> okay. Um, if that's the case... Then I think that is uh, that. So thank you very much to Izzy. Thank you. And thank you very much to you all for coming. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.